Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. Your baseball is suspended at home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, and you can find us by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about baseball and apparently life without baseball for Bleed Cubby Blue, and I'm going to do my very best to not be cranky tonight because I am having like the world's worst takeout delivery mix-up night. <laughs> Hey guys, I'm Andy Cruz Vanasek, and I will say in in direct relation to that, my family celebrated tonight because we received our first correct order from the takeout in at least a month, I would say, which is, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's par for the course with everything that we're going through and all the takeout that's being purchased. But I mean, I kind of feel like what's hard about getting food right when that's what you do. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, before we jump into that, because I have a lot to say about this right now, uh, we're really excited to be joined by a special guest today, Cubs fan and musical artist extraordinaire Katie Day is here. Katie, we're so happy to have you on the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Have you been having food delivery problems too, or is this just isolated to Chicago and St. Louis? I mean, I'm going to be honest, I actually haven't eaten anything that I haven't made myself in like three months because I don't know I just go to the grocery store and that's about it I I haven't gotten takeout I think just to save money because I don't know what the like my financial future looks like you know so I've just been like eating groceries and honestly I feel pretty healthy and good about it so it's good Katie, you, Katie you are my new you're my new hero right now because I totally need to jump on this train I can say for myself and my family, we have not been eating the the best. And I had strict rules about this up until quarantine started. And now it's kind of just a free for all. So maybe I need to jump back on the cook and, and, you know, eat a little bit more raw ingredients because that seems to be the thing to do. Yeah. I also don't have kids. So I cannot imagine just like the amount of time that would be taken up, you know, I don't think I would have time to like deal with making healthy food for myself if I were also like homeschooled, so homeschooling kids right now. So I'm, you know, well, totally- thank you for, thank you for throwing me that bone there. <laughs> it has definitely not been an easy journey, but yeah, I mean, it's still, we figured out a way to do it when they were going to school. So we should be able to do it when they're homeschooling, although they are out of school now, that's a whole nother story, but yeah, so, so definitely, you, you've inspired me. I, I maybe maybe we would have less takeout airs if we got less takeout. <laughs> I was going to say this is like a sign from the heavens that I should get less takeout, um, which is not what I did actually. So this was one of those nights where the takeout order got mixed up. And and props to Caviar, they like refunded it within about fifteen minutes of me writing. But they don't have anybody that you can call or anything right now because there's hardly anybody working that's not working remote. And so, um, so they took care of it super fast, but there was, there was a minute there where I was like, what am I going to do? And I don't actually have anything I can make in my house other than scrambled eggs. And I definitely <laughs> hunted and ordered pizza. So, um, yeah, <laughs> we're at that stage of the pandemic. <laughs> you know, it's important that you eat regardless of what it is at this point. So I think it's important that you just went ahead and ordered the pizza and, and did that for yourself. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but you know, mental note: I'm going to start cooking after I eat this pizza. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right.
right. So back to regularly scheduled programming. We have a lot to get through today. We're excited to have Katie here. Uh, we're also super excited to talk about the news and negotiations that are going on between Major League Baseball, the MLB Players Association, what's going on with the minor leagues. We've got all of it coming for you in this episode. Um, but before we get to that, uh, Andy, why don't you kick us off with our traditional first question? This is my favorite question for you, Katie, because I feel like it really helps everybody get to know you a little bit better. Um, we ask this of all of our guests, and it's it's always awesome where this takes us. So feel free to, to go whatever direction you want here. But we want to know, what is your first or favorite baseball memory? Give us an idea of where your love of baseball comes from. Okay, so I feel like I kind of have a few, but really – what made me love baseball was playing baseball. When I was a little kid, we lived at the end of a cul-de-sac and there were a bunch of kids in the neighborhood and we would just play every day in the summer. And that's kind of how I got to know the game. And then, um, you know, I kind of latched onto the Cubs because of my grandpa who I could just, I don't know. I just always have felt really bonded with my grandpa and he was always a huge Cubs fan And I can remember one time being pretty little and I had this Ryan Sam, Ryan Sandberg figurine that I was playing with, like on his driveway. And, um, he asked me who it was and I said, Ryan Sandberg. And he said, can you spell Ryan? And I, he thought I was going to spell it wrong and I spelled it right. And I could see how proud he was. (laughs) I felt like I needed to be a Cubs fan, just roll with that. And I, just always bonded with him over the the Cubs and um, and then you know getting older and going to Wrigley. I think the first time I really got super invested in a season was '98. I loved Sammy Sosa. I was in middle school. I would just like watch those games and listen to the games all the time and go up to Wrigley with my cousin who was like my same age. So yeah, it was just sort of like my I don't know. I just always loved the game, you know. That is so cool. And you will get no objection. Uh, This is a Ryan Sandberg was our original favorite player podcast. Uh, I think both Andy and I have confessed that at various points in time. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I got to meet him a few years ago. I played at a Cubs charity event at Club 400. and, um, And he was the guest of honor. And so I got to meet him and introduce my dad to him too, which was awesome. Uh, shout out 100 is awesome. I, I say shout out to our friend Stuart. <laughs> I was just going to say, I just saw um, Stuart McVicker uh, last Friday. He was down um, listening to the organist practice at Wrigley Field. And that has kind of become a really nice way to like celebrate our love and miss of baseball yeah. at the same time while we're all masked and social distancing and like hanging out on Wavelength. <laughs> Yeah, Sarah, I saw your tweet. I follow you on Twitter and I saw your first tweet a couple weeks ago, the first time that happened. And I did cry when I heard it. It's just beautiful, you know? Oh my gosh. I to- I mean, I think you can tell in that tweet that I'm about to cry. Yeah, you can. <laughs> turn the- I had to turn the phone around so that y'all wouldn't see me cry. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why, because anybody that with a soul that likes the Cubs or loves the Cubs or loves Wrigley or anything about Wrigleyville was in the same boat. So, I mean, join the club, people. We all cried. (laughs) Just a Game is such an incredible song. And I really love that that video starts with Roberto Clemente, who's one of my baseball heroes. Can you tell us a little bit about the song and its inspiration, Katie? 
Um, yeah. Um, you know, I had written a few songs about the Cubs a few years ago, back in 2014 and 2016. I, I put out some songs about the Cubs winning the World Series, and then they did, and then, you know, that was awesome, obviously. <laughs> And then I kind of left that behind because that was like a very special era that then, you know, in terms of my musical career, I wasn't going to like latch on to that and continue to, to do that. So I got back to just making music about all kinds of other things. And then I actually, in the last couple of years, have really just been composing music for ads, movie trailers, TV, like um, I haven't really been working that much as an artist. I'm more of a composer in L.A. And, uh, but since, you know, we've been in lockdown for a while, I got really, you know, bored. There was no baseball to occupy my time. And it just felt like I, you know, we're obviously all missing a lot of things right now, but when it rolled, when like what would be opening day rolled around, I just really was missing it. And I just, uh, I, I made a list of baseball movies to watch and I made it through like four of them. And then... I don't know. I just felt sad. And it was also the night that John Prime died and he was a big influence. Of mine. And so I just wanted to pick up my guitar and try to write something, even though I really had not written a song as an artist or for myself in maybe almost two years. Um, I just, it just kind of poured out of me and it felt really special. And then I felt like I had to record it and make like that clip video to go along with it. Um, it just, I just kind of like, as soon as this, it felt like the song kind of wrote itself. And then I felt like I owed it to the song to put it out into the world. And so I went through the process of recording it. I have shed so many tears. I'm going to cry again. This is terrible <laughs> over John Prine dying that I can't even, yeah. I can barely explain it. It's um, so I grew up in Utah and my dad and our neighbor used to play John Prine songs by the campfire. Mm -hmm. Um, whenever we went camping anywhere, like it's like my entire childhood. I, I know so many of those songs by heart. I knew those songs by heart before I knew they were saying by John Prime. Like I just, uh, I used to, I was like the annoying little kid that would always come up and say, and ask them to play paradise, which was my favorite song when I was a little kid. Um, and then I would like want them to play it over and over again. I was always like, okay, well do it again. <laughs> I'm like yeah. seven years old asking for the exact same song over and over I, I used to live in Nashville and he was just, I used to just play a lot of acoustic guitar and write on acoustic guitar. And he was such an influence for me. And then I read this story about, um, about Steve Goodman dragging Chris, Chris Jefferson to see him play in Chicago. And that's how he kind of got exposed to Chris, Chris Jefferson, who's the, who then helped, you know, blow up his career and the whole Steve Goodman aspect of it too, made me feel like, the, the baseball connection and like I wanted to write that song you know 100% that's awesome well I have to say we there's so many things that the three of us have in common between you know like you mentioned Sarah your your grandpa that was a big influence in my Cubs fandom and my dad was also a musician um I grew up in basically in the garage listening to him and his friends jam all the time. So music and baseball was, you know, a lot that I, I got from my dad. So it's just, it's crazy to me, all the things that we have in common when you were talking about Ryan Sandberg, he was the whole reason I played softball growing up. And that was the whole reason I moved to St. Louis, but he was the reason I wanted to play second base. He was the reason I got recruited to play second base in college. Yeah. So like that, it's just crazy to me, like all the, the full circles that we're hitting here, but, 
kind of hitting more on the uh, just a game song that hits home for I think so many Cubs fans that have heard it, uh, especially right now when we're realizing that, that baseball is more than just a game to us. Like it's you know Sarah and I and I have talked about this many a times that it's kind of our our break from our day to day lives and and you know the everyday stresses that we have. So. Um, in the song you talk about, in the lyrics you talk about, we're all looking for a hero, which I just love that part. That is, it's just so true. And like, we all need that. But who is your baseball hero and why? And like, why, why was that something that you felt like really needed to be included in the song? So every time I sing that line, which is, we're all looking for a hero, for a savior, for a god. Every time I go through the song or I even hear it or every time I sang it in the studio, I'm picturing Javi in my mind. I just... (laughs) I just got goosebumps. I totally just got goosebumps. That's amazing. (laughs) He is just... He is magic. He's so fun to watch. He, like, exemplifies what is great about the game. And you know that even if fans of other teams maybe hate him because he's so good, <laughs> you know, other players love him because he's just because of his, lo- his clear love of the game, you know, and just he's watching him play is what makes it so great. It's so special to have him be on the Cubs, you know? So I don't know. He's the one that I'm picturing in my mind. But then there are, you know, heroes of the past, like, you know, Roberto Clemente and Jackie Robinson, Satchel Paige, like Buck O'Neill. I mean, there's Ernie Banks, you know, I mean, there are other people who exemplify something that's bigger than the game as well. So, but, you know, in terms of just the game itself and and the fun of it, it's hobby all day. Well, you know what they say about him, right? He's your favorite player's favorite player. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. That is absolutely perfect. That is a great answer. (laughs) Both an obvious shirt, which our friends at obvious shirts, if you haven't checked them out, you should definitely do that. And factual, because I think that came from the um, survey that they did of players where they literally asked them like who your favorite player was. And most of them said, happy bias. So amazing. (laughs) Literally your favorite player's favorite player. a different obvious shirt. I don't have that one. <laughs> uh, Katie, we got to meet each other at John Baker Day, which was so fun. You did an awesome set. Um, I just want to give a shout out to the fact that being a musical artist, a composer in the during the pandemic while we're all kind of locked at home must be so difficult. And you alluded to this a little bit at the top of the show. Um, how are you holding up? Like, what can people do to help out? Tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a musical artist during the pandemic. You know, I am lucky because I don't make my living as a performing artist. Like if I were, I have friends who are touring artists and that's the bulk of their income and they actually are suffering a lot more than me right now. And, um, I, as a composer, to be honest, haven't really been hit that hard. Um, I'm still getting some some great work, some really fun work, um, and just doing that work from home, you know, or, you know, I've actually been going into the studio a bit more recently, but, um, you know, I, I am lucky in that regard because, you know, most of the shows that I've played in the last year are, you know, often Cubs related. I know the guys that put on John Baker Day. I love Danny, Corey, the guys from IBNB, uh, and so... Um, they asked me to do that. And I'm, I do enjoy playing live, but it's not where I rely. I mean, honestly, even before this, it's like being on tour, 
is not easy mentally, physically, emotionally. It's just draining. So that hasn't been like, you know, something that I've aspired to do a ton of. And, um, but I actually am with this song. So this song is going to be coming out on Spotify, iTunes, etc. early. It'll become, it'll be out next week. There's been a huge backlog of people who are usually performing artists trying to put out music. So it actually took, a, took longer for, um, for the distributors for like Spotify and, and iTunes or Apple music and stuff to, to get it out, but it will be up next week, but it's also available on my Bandcamp. And if you, um, you can name your own price on Bandcamp to download it. And I'm donating half of the, uh, half of the money that I make from it to direct relief, which provides medical supplies to doctors who are providing care for people who are most in need, like the most vulnerable populations who wouldn't otherwise be getting care. So that, uh, you know, in terms of, I'm not too worried about myself, but a lot of musicians who depend on, you know, money for touring are in more trouble, but there are ways that you can support them through, there's even a donate button on Spotify. Now, if you log into people's Instagram lives and watch them play often, there's like, they'll put their Venmo up there or something like that. Um, so those are, those are ways that are helpful for artists for sure. That is really cool. Can you yeah. share, if you share the Bandcamp link with us, we will make sure to tweet that out from the Cup of Cubby Blue account so that other people can see it. So that's a really awesome way that people can have an impact and get a really great song. It's a, it's a, an incredible song. If you haven't listened to it, you definitely should. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, katydaymusic.bandcamp.com, but I actually just want to like check that. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> katydaymusic.bandcamp.com. So yeah, I mean- that would be great if you guys tweeted that out. That'd be awesome. For sure. Well, and we know too, you know, you've said that you're working more as a composer right now, but with everything that's going on that with what baseball fans are going through and how much baseball is changing, have you shifted any of your inspiration? Like, are you thinking that you're going to put out more music that you're, you know, inspired to, to write more songs or is that something that the, just a game song was just something that came to you and you went with it? You know, that one really did feel like kind of a one-off. I wasn't planning on it, but there's really no telling on when I might, you know, it was such a great experience writing, recording that, making the video, have, like seeing people's responses um, that, you know, maybe it will happen again. I don't know. We'll see. And it also so much depends on how long this lasts, what does happen with the baseball season. Like, I mean... I don't know. I would love to find more ways to make music about baseball for baseball, even to like be the composer that, or like, you know, be making the music that is in um, the videos that, that the Cubs play on the big screen at the ballpark, stuff like that. I mean, that's what I actually do um, for a living, but like that type of thing. But um, I don't know in terms of an artist when the next one will come out. We'll see. <laughs> Well, hopefully somebody from the Cubs is listening to this and we can get you on that big screen. Uh, honest, I got to tell you, I like when I, I got so bummed when I, you know, heard the, the Wrigley organist and was like, why didn't I audition for that? What is wrong with me? I, I considered it and um, I didn't, you know, I live in LA. So I was like, I don't know if I could move back to Chicago, but then seeing that they hired three people, I was like, man, I really could have made 27 games. I could have done that. <laughs> oh, that would have but, been so sweet. 
<laughs> okay. Well, speaking of additional baseball news and how it may or may not inspire Katie's work in the future, we have a ton of baseball stuff to talk about on the flip side. So we're going to take a quick break for our, for our sponsors. And we're going to be back with more from Andy and Katie. But first, a quick break. All right, we're back. This is, it has been a wild, wild news week, y'all. There may not be baseball games, but there's a ton of baseball news. I'm going to start with the MLB proposal for player pay. Um, and the best breakdown of this that I've seen actually came from our, our editor at Bleed Cubby Blue, Al Yellen. He worked with one of the SB Nation writers from Royals Review, which is the Kansas City site. Max, and they put together a chart that shows exactly what the impact of MLB's proposal is on different players in terms of how much money they could expect to make in the 2020 season if it's played under the new cuts that MLB has proposed. And I'm I'm just going to read a couple of these off before I get people's reaction to them. So you Darvish was supposed to make $22 million in 2020. In March, the players agreed to a prorated salary, so they would only be play, paid based on the number of games they played. That prorated salary would be $11 million and some change. Uh, under the owner's proposal, you Darvish would make $4 million and change, which is an 81.1% pay cut off his projected original 2020 salary. The one that just kills me is Anthony Rizzo, who is supposed to make $16.5 million this year. If you remember, he signed a team-friendly deal with the Cubs. He's not making anywhere near the money that he should have made through some of these years, but he did it so that he could be part of this team and help the core when they won the World Series in 2016. Uh, his prorated salary should be slightly more than $8 million. The owner's proposal would have Anthony Rizzo making $3 million $420,000 over the course of 2020. That is a 79.2% pay cut off of his baseline. I am just furious about this. What do you, what do you think, Andy? What do you think, Katie? Oh like, my goodness. Is anybody else as angry about this as I am? <laughs> I was, listen, my immediate knee jerk reaction to this was this is absolute garbage. Like who put this together? Like, this is just, it's garbage. For them to get basically laughed out of the office with this is completely justified. Because I, I, I just, I don't understand what they're thinking. Like, why, I, we already have a commissioner who hates baseball. Now we have owners who hate baseball. Like, come on. This is, this is, it, it's insulting. It's insulting and it's scary. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they had to know that this was not going to be an accepted offer. Like, it is laughable, right? So, I mean, if we don't have baseball this year, you can blame the owners as much as you can blame the virus, honestly. Well, and I want to I wanna piggyback off that for a second, because blame the owners is a thing that I think really fans need to take into consideration here. I wrote about this a little bit in my diary of a life without baseball a couple of days ago. But one of the really fascinating elements of how all of these fights between players and owners usually go is that the owners, for whatever reason, people are more sympathetic with them. And it generally has to, like the line goes something like, oh, but these guys are being paid millions of dollars to play a game and I would pay for, I would play for less and yada, yada. And I get it. Like 
$3 million is a great salary. It's substantially more money than I make. It's more money than I will probably make in multiple years doing my normal day job. Uh, that does not mean that the players are being greedy when they're being asked to take a substantial cut in pay over what they were already getting as a cut. The owners don't pay them more money when they make record profits, which they have made for each of the last five years while they have shrunk the amount of that revenue that goes to player salaries. So if baseball doesn't happen, it is because the owners and the coronavirus happened, not because the players didn't put something on the table that was perfectly fair in agreeing to take whatever their salary was prorated without hazard pay while they're being asked to play in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, and also I think people might hold players responsible because it's so easy to see exactly what their salary is and say, oh, that's a large number, but it's a lot harder to suss out how much money these owners actually have, where they're bringing in income, and like it's just not like one concrete number to look at. I'm really glad that you brought up transparency there because one of the tweets that came out yesterday before we were recording the show was um, from Max Jerzer, who is, uh, he's part of the Players Association. He's one of the like negotiator types. So he follows this stuff really carefully. And he said that this proposal by the owners was a non-starter, which good for him. I agree. <laughs> it's a total non-starter. But he also said that MLB needs to open their books and explain to people what's going on behind the scenes when they make proposals like this, because people are just making an assumption that because the economy is down, revenues will be down. Like they're not selling tickets. They won't get money, et cetera. They're going to get a ton of money from TV deals. They're going to get a ton of money from licensing. I don't know how much money. I don't know if it's half. I don't know if it's 60% for some teams and 40% for others, but it seems like there's a transparency issue in terms of the 30 billionaire billion with a B owners claiming that they somehow need the players to take all of this loss off. Right. Well, and let's not forget these people pay, they have a staff of people that they pay to think of ways to make money when they can't funnel it in through the normal ways that they would. In other words, you're not getting gate sales, okay? Because you're not going to have fans at games. You better believe that they're going to figure out a way to make up that money somehow, way, shape, or form. Probably not penny for penny, but they're going to come darn close, especially if fans are not allowed in games. You have to think about the outlets where baseball will be consumed now. So trust me when I say they're going to figure out a way to make all kinds of money off of these networks that are going to be showing baseball games. Because once baseball is announcing a comeback, hopefully that happens, there, there'll be people standing in line trying to get baseball on their networks because it will be a hot ticket. And like the only ticket, right? <laughs> like right. The only way you can consume it. Play golf badly over the weekend. <laughs> I mean, I watched it and I was embarrassed to watch it. My girls were like, "Mom, you're watching golf." I'm like, "It's the only sports I've watched in six weeks." <laughs> I'm desperate. I don't care. <laughs> One last thing I want to talk about with this player pay proposal that I just find particularly telling and gross. Um, it's a scaled system. So they take the most money from the players who make the most, the U Darvishes of the world, the Mike Trouts of the world, the John Lester's of the world. And then they make a much, 
they take a substantially smaller cut from the players who are closer to the league minimum, which is a transparently bad tactic to divide the union, right? Like they want the players fighting with themselves a year before the collective bargaining agreement happens. And they don't even care that we know. They're just like super transparent about it. (laughs) Yeah, they're making bad moves all around. That's for sure. It's just not a good look. It's not a good look. You know, at what point do they start to think about the fans that they're losing right now and that they're pissing off. I mean, it, that has got to become a factor in the decision-making at some point, because this is, this is going to be hard to bounce back from if they continue to make moves like this. Totally agree. Speaking of not caring about the players or caring about the fans or caring about the game of baseball generally, uh, what's happening in the minors is as aggravating. I, I don't know about either of you. I'm to the point where between the coronavirus pandemic life in general, and all of the daily outrages coming at us from baseball. I'm just like, I am outraged out. I don't know that I have enough outrage for what the universe is demanding right now. Uh, The A's have decided they're just not going to pay their minor leaguers anymore. Those minor leaguers make $400 a week and the A's are like, nope, we're not paying it. Oh, God. That is awful. I don't even know which is worse, like that or cutting, you know, some 400 minor league players a day for like the next week. Like to me, that just I I mean, it just both feels very dirty and and wrong. Well, and to be clear, what Andy just said is also happening. Like a bunch of major league teams are axing minor leaguers as we're recording this. Uh, Jeff Passan reported that hundreds of minor leaguers have been cut in the last week and that it's out of line with what would traditionally happen after a normal spring training. So like tons of them are losing their pay period or just getting cut from the league in general before the draft happens. And this is on top of what we've already been discussing a ton on this podcast, which are the cuts to like just ax 25% of the minor leagues generally. (laughs) I am just, I can't even keep up. My head is swimming. I'm so angry at all of these decisions that are being made by people who have literally billions of dollars. And the really sad part, I had a hard time with this today because it's just social media right now is just an overload of outrage, basically, like you said, and it's really been tugging hard at my heart lately. But, you know, scrolling through Twitter, every other tweet, I think at probably five o'clock this evening was a minor league player saying, I have to hang it up now. I was just let go. I'm retiring. I have to figure out something else to do for a living. Thank you for the memories. Thank you for helping my dreams come true, if only for a minute. I mean, stuff like that. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is like not the right time for this to be happening. And it's just one thing on top of another. And you just feel for these guys because not only are they getting paid pennies compared to other people doing their job, but now they're being told they aren't going to be able to do it at all. So it it just, it's really infuriating and hard to swallow. Yeah, that is really, that's heart wrenching for sure. I think I saw a tweet that said something like, you know, if somebody, if people are making more money on unemployment than they are, than they were at their jobs, you shouldn't be upset that they're being paid too much in unemployment. You should be upset that they weren't being paid enough at their job. I feel like every minor leaguer would make more in unemployment than they would playing in the minor leagues, but having to hang up your dreams and quit and and you know that's just totally heartbreaking 
I mean, that's a really great point. I, I think I read somewhere, and I could be wrong about this, I don't have it in front of me, that minor leaguers aren't actually eligible for unemployment uh, insurance because of the Save America's Pastime Act, which is one of those like 1984 named acts that make sure that minor leaguers don't get paid, period, and then don't get unemployment benefits when they lose their jobs. But this is just, everything about this is gross and wrong and disgusting. And we're living through one of the largest public health and economic calamities that has happened in a century. And I just cannot believe that the billionaires of the world are balancing their books on the back of people making $400 a week trying to live their dreams. That's gross. I'm so furious. Can I, Sarah, can I ask you a question? Cause I really want to know your opinion on this. And this is total. I just saw somebody post this. I've not even seen more than one person post this, but it was kind of intriguing to me and kind of, you know, made me think a little bit, but do you think in any way, shape or form that major league baseball is setting up those minor leaguers to come in and take over for the major leaguers if they decide they won't play this season? So I think that there are some minor leaguers who may get a gig as a replacement player. Um, I've seen numbers tossed around about what the roster situations could look like, because it seems pretty clear that the minor leagues as a whole are not going to play in 2020. However, if you're asking major leaguers to play in a pandemic, there are going to be people who get sick. There are going to be people who opt out. Like if you were, if you're going to lose like $20 million (laughs) to be asked to play while while you're sick and you have a family member with a health condition or your wife is about to have their, your first child or something like that. Like it just seems like some people will opt out of that situation, which will open the door for some minor leaguers as replacement players. But all of this in the large scheme of things strikes me as the people who have the money, the owners in the league, trying to divide the players against each other so that in 2021, when the current collective bargaining agreement runs out and they all have to come to the table and agree to things for the next however many years, those players are asked to take a huge cut in pay because the revenues of the revenue hit that happened in 2020 and probably into 2021. And I I just cannot stress enough that one of the things that makes baseball great and one of the things that has made baseball great since, I I don't know the exact year because I don't have the book in front of me, but since like the late 70s, early 80s, when the reserve clause finally ended, is that the players union is strong and can actually push back and demand workers' rights for their workers. That's why there's not a salary cap in baseball, among other things. And a strong players union keeps the game healthy and protects players and protects the sport. And what we don't want is a situation where the players union gets gutted by circumstances and all of a sudden the owners can just do whatever they want. I mean, if you look at the contracts that exist in the NFL, those are non-guaranteed contracts for a sport that is literally deadly to people people die earlier in their lives than they would otherwise from playing that sport from CTE and other injuries. And those players have almost no protection. Um, So I think it's, it's imperative that if people love baseball, they side with the players, they support the players union. When you see somebody out there like Max Scherzer talking about why these deals are unfair and you don't have all of the information, you need to listen to that. And if, For whatever reason, baseball, look, I want baseball back in 2020 with the players healthy 
and with a good deal more than anybody on the planet. But I do not want the players to agree to something that hurts the long-term health of the sport or the long-term health of the players just so we can watch games for 80 days in 2020. That was a fantastic answer to that question. I think um, it's important that people do their research before they start making any any assumptions about what 2021 looks like for the new bargaining agreement, because I think it's going to be a hot mess. And I think we're seeing owners and the league um, become the best version of opportunists that they can because of this pandemic. And really, I, I mean, we, we have to, if, if we're a fan of the sport, we want to see the sport thrive and we want to see it be back to where it was. We really have to pay attention and, and be on the player side with this because I mean, it's just really the only obvious choice to make, you know, if, if you want to see the game of baseball, the way that it's been. So um, yeah, I mean, it's just mind boggling to me how it's come to this. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Oh, Katie, go ahead. I just want to say about, you know, Max Scherzer, when you think about Max Scherzer and what he has put his body through, we watched him put his body through at the end of last year. You know, I mean, he couldn't get out of bed and change his clothes. And then they somehow, you know, pumped him full of enough, you know, whatever steroids to get his body moving to start game seven and win. And that is not nothing. It's not like these guys are just getting out there and playing a game. They really are putting their bodies through the ringer, you know. They are, and they're putting everything on the line. And I just, the the decisions that are being made right now are going to have such far-reaching implications. I mean, I talked about the health of the players union a little bit. That's something I care a lot about personally. But another thing that Tim Sheridan and I talked about a couple of episodes ago, um, I think if you go back to episode 70, I might be wrong, um, was the player development generally, right? Like when you start just getting rid of full scale, like 25% of the minor leagues, you start just like cutting guys who have worked their entire life to play baseball because $400 a week is just a little too much for just like college programs and whatnot are not going to exist in the same way that we've been used to them. You can't just rely on college programs to develop your players for you the same way that basketball and football do. There is a year or two years worth of player development here that is going to just get wrecked by the decisions that are being made by major league owners and the commissioner of baseball right now. And I'm terrified about it. Yeah, it definitely, player development is definitely going to take a hit. And I don't think people even venture to think about what the on-field product is going through as far as, you know, pitchers not, you know, throwing live innings and, and, and hitters not seeing live pitching and things of that nature. I mean, you have to think about all this time off and what it can do to somebody. Obviously, these men play the game at the highest level possible, but it's still, they have to you know, they have to be able to do these things to play at the level they play at and and to miss out on now we're looking at a half a season at the very least. I mean, that's that's definitely going to have some implications when you start looking at performance and, you know, negotiating contracts and all that sort of thing. I mean, this is definitely going to come into play and it's going to be it's going to be an issue. I could not agree more. Um all right, we have to we have to end the show on a lighter note. <laughs> we cannot end the show on the disaster that is looming for Major League Baseball. Uh, 
I want to talk about how MLB Network has totally lost its mind and somehow thinks that people outside of New York City want to watch 64 consecutive hours of Derek Jeter games and specials. What on God's green earth has possessed this network to believe? Look, people, look, I live in Chicago. I, I, am, a, I am a jazz fan. I grew up in Utah. So I, did, I, I was not all that thrilled about the last dance. But it at least made sense to me that 10 hours of Jordan programming would be something people would watch. 64 hours of da- of the like ninth best shortstop in history. What, what is this? <laughs> she said the ninth best. Listen, I don't want to do anything for 64 hours, let alone watch him. Like, come on. This is I would insane. Have for 64 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have 64 hours of Javier Bayer coverage, please? <laughs> there you go. I don't even know what? if I can sit still for that. But yeah, <laughs> close. Very close to 64 hours. <laughs> I saw this today on my timeline. I thought it was a joke. I was like, that's got to be a joke. And then I saw it being retweeted by like multiple blue check mark accounts. I was like, oh my God, they literally had a meeting somewhere in Secaucus, New Jersey. And they were like, hey guys, <laughs> I've got an idea. This is a Derek good idea. <laughs> for an entire weekend straight. <laughs> maybe maybe the literally intern was the one signing off on this. Have you watched him play defense? He is, this is no joke. I looked this up for an article I wrote today. He is the only shortstop in like the top 40 shortstops of all time with a negative defensive war, except <laughs> Hanley Ramirez. And you know what position Hanley Ramirez didn't play very long? Shortstop. <laughs> he wasn't the best shortstop on his own team. Oh, goodness. I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, Sarah, you cracked me up. The ninth best shortstop. <laughs> I mean, the first or second, depending on which numbers you look at, is Alex Rodriguez, who was playing third base for the Yankees because Derek Jeter's ego couldn't handle being moved off shortstop. <laughs> oh God, I'm crying. This is so great. <laughs> Thank you for that. I needed that. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm so angry about this. I'm like, I, I, I'm actually not. And and a few people have come at me with this today on social media. And they're like, why do you hate Derek Jeter so much? I don't. Like Jeter's kind of like, I don't know, neutral to me. Like I, I have no strong feelings about Derek Jeter other than I think he's super overrated. And I just wish I had been in the meeting at MLB Network where they were like, <laughs> so not Babe Ruth, not Barry Bonds, not right. Nolan Ryan. Not like the steroid era, not like we're going to do a special shout out to the history of the Negro Leagues, which nobody knows, but Derek Jeter, that's the answer. Derek Jeter is our Michael Jordan. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm visualizing a, a room, a boardroom full of interns and like all the execs went golfing or something. And like the interns are like, what can we do so <laughs> that we don't have to work next week? <laughs> Let's put on 64 hours of Dare Jeter. <laughs> oh, so great. So great. Um, okay. Can I, I want to give my shout out real quick. I have a couple of shout outs. I, have to yeah. give. I don't normally do this, but this is kind of a, a huge week. And um, so my mom, it was my mom's birthday and Pat Hughes birthday yesterday and she retires tomorrow. So I've been plastering her face all over Twitter. So if you get a second, she is on Twitter. So if you get a second, 
give her a shout out. This is a big week for her. Um, also, I wanted to say, and, and I'm going to get emotional when I tell this story. So I apologize. Last weekend, I got the best surprise of my life. So I know you guys have heard me talk about my best baseball memory. And Sarah, if you don't know, if you you probably not heard me say this, but um, when I was very young, my dad took me to a baseball game. It was, I think my whole family is what my mom and I discussed, but my dad was telling me, um, I was eight or nine, maybe 10, you know, and he's like, go down there. We were there really early warmups for the other team, blah, blah, blah. I said, go down there, get that pitcher's autograph. He's going to be amazing. He's going to be a hall of fame. He's an awesome pitcher. This is a great opportunity. We get to see somebody good pitch, blah, blah, blah. Go get his autograph. He just happened to be standing there, not doing anything. Nobody was around him. Go get his autograph. I totally chickened out. Like I have this problem. I freeze up sometimes depending on who it is and where I'm at and that. And so I was little and I was shy. So I didn't go get his autograph. Well, lo and behold, it was Nolan Ryan that was pitching. And my dad passed away in February. And up until he had his first stroke, he told that story. And like in a way that he was meaning to give me trouble, like this kid had a chance to get Nolan Ryan's autograph and she didn't do it and blah, blah, blah. So he liked to give me trouble about that. Well, Saturday I got the mail. And my friend, she's not my partner, she's my friend, thought of the idea for this group to get me a Nolan Ryan signed autograph baseball. And I got it in the mail and it is my most prized possession. It is amazing. And I'm so thankful. And I'm sorry, I don't usually get emotional on the show, but this was such a huge deal. I freaked out and like, I feel really bad and I'm sure he'll probably play it at some point and make fun of me. And I will laugh because <laughs> I'm sure my voicemail was ridiculous but I called Danny Danny Rocket friend of the show um because he he's kind of the one that runs this group that did it it was Sarah's idea but I called and left this rambling voicemail thanking him and really I, I should have called Sarah first because <laughs> it was her idea but I just want to thank you guys because that like I said that's now my most prized possession and it sits right next to the picture of my dad and it's just such a thoughtful amazing gift so thank you for that oh that's amazing that makes you want to cry. I know. And I'm like, I don't get emotional. And like my, my go-to is humor, but I can't find any humor right now. And I'm like, I'm struggling right now. I don't like crying, but this was, it was such an emotional moment. Like my kids were freaking out because they didn't know what was wrong with me. They're like, Oh my God, is she okay? Like what happened? Did she hurt herself? Like what is going on? My husband is like, I I just walked around to everybody and I was like, is that Nolan Ryan? Tell me, is that Nolan Ryan? I can't tell if that's Nolan Ryan. I'm pretty sure that's Nolan Ryan. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with her? Like, (laughs) so I had to slow down and tell the story. And it's, it's, it's definitely a story that needs to be told because obviously it's not a Chicago Cub autograph, but it it has um, such meaning to me with my dad and, and him passing away and everything else. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart, Sarah. Thank you so much. Okay, well now I'm crying. So I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, no, it's okay. Um I so when when your dad passed away, obviously like I knew what was going on because we had had to like reschedule a bunch of stuff and we worked around it because Andy is a champion, y'all. You don't even understand. Like Andy is the mother of three girls. She works full time and she manages to do this podcast on the regular, which is insane. And I don't even know how she does it. And she does it while working from home and homeschooling her kids and all this stuff. And so I just felt like we needed to do something that really um, spoke to her baseball experience with her dad. And I just happened to be lucky enough that she had shared that story on our interview with Rob Nyer. 
uh, over the off season. And so I, I knew it. And I, when Danny asked what we should do, that was the first thing that popped in my head. I was like, she needs a Nolan Ryan autograph. It'll be like straight from her dad. Um, and I, you know, Andy and I have talked about this before. Both of us fell in love with the game of baseball because of our dads and both of us are kind of daddy's girls in that sense. And um, so I, I was happy to do it. I'm sad that we had to. Um, and I'm so glad it landed the way that it was supposed to. And just baseball is, baseball is a great thing, y'all. And we should, we should be appreciative of it. And I, I'm not going to be able to close the show like I normally do. So I'm just going to say, um, I'm done. My fault, guys. My fault. I'm sorry. I know we're going to end on a happy note. So, um, you know what? Everybody's emotional in the pandemic. So this is, we're emotional at all times. Life is life, man. It, it happens. Um, let's let's get some let's get some shout outs out of the way, and then I'm going to close this out. Uh, Katie, where can people find you on Twitter? Um, I'm at Katie Day Music. Awesome. So at Katie Day Music for our awesome guest, Katie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your music. Thank you for your thoughts and your words today. Um, <laughs> Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, you can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find Andy at, at BRYZ underscore blue. I swear we are not normally this sappy on Twitter. <laughs> and you can find both of us at, at Cup of Cubby Blue, where we will be talking all things Cubs, baseball, and baseball is suspended until baseball is back. Bye. <laughs>